democracy, politics, inequality, leadership, development, poverty, peace, conflict, prosperity. Welcome to The Critical Take with Nopomilelo Runji, disrupting conventional thinking. In this episode, I explore South Africa's transitional justice process and am looking to understand the successes as well as the shortcoming of this process as it is represented by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I'm in conversation with Professor Tsepo Madlingozi, a transitional justice expert and one who has been very outspoken about the flaws of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and what the missing piece in South Africa's transitional justice process actually is. We explore the idea of justice and why, in his view, it was a glaring omission from the truth and reconciliation process. The new South Africa was hailed as a political miracle, this oh. negotiated settlement that then resulted in uh, democratic elections in 1994. Nelson oh. Mandela is elected the first black president, um, one man, one vote, one person, one vote, yes. right? Finally achieved. Yeah. And then we went into a process of transitional justice, yeah. the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The, you know, the victims were supposed to engage with those that perpetrated crimes. Mm. And it was supposed to be a process of uncovering truth about yeah. what happened. In your view, did the Truth and Reconciliation Commission mm. work? Did transitional justice work for South Africa? Yeah. I mean, to answer this question, we should ask ourselves what was the objectives of the TRC, right? <clears throat> the TRC was the main transitional justice mechanism in South Africa. What did it seek to achieve? So it sought to achieve three things. One, no, four things. One, to get the truth, what happened. Two, to prosecute those who, uh, who don't, don't come to the TRC. Those who come, get amnesty. Those who don't come, get prosecuted, right? So then the second one is amnesty. The third one, then, to suggest uh, institutional reforms so that this doesn't happen again. And then lastly, of course, reparations for victims. Very, very narrow. I mean, the clue is in the name, truth and reconciliation. There's no J. There's no justice in the name. Just truth and reconciliation. In terms of what it achieved, there's no truth, there's no reconciliation in South Africa. As far as truth is concerned, we still have a lot of people who still don't know what happened to their loved ones. About 2,000 people have disappeared. We still don't know what happened to them. We still don't know who ordered certain massacres. No one wants to take responsibility, right? So we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know why <clears throat> certain communities were targeted and not others. So in terms of truth, really, we didn't discover much in terms of truth. In terms of reconciliation, transitional justice everywhere never seek to achieve reconciliation, if we are honest. What it seeks to do is to be a catharsis for society, not for victims themselves. In fact, what happens with victims is that they get re-victimized. <clears throat> I go to the TRC, I talk about my father, 
And then what? Who gets the catharsis? Not the victim. It is the nation. And the nation understood a very narrow sex. The TRC's aim was to facilitate reconciliation between elites. So the TRC was to act as a mechanism for elites to reconcile. So there was never an idea of achieving what we call social reconciliation. And this is because of the setup of the TRC. Three committees, one committee on reparation, one committee on amnesty, one committee on, uh, on victims, okay? The victims committee or the human rights violations committee, victims will go to that committee. The amnesty committee, perpetrators will go to that committee. Never do the two meet. So when people say the TRC was, quote-unquote, a table for humanity, that's actually a lie. There was no mechanism, process for victims and perpetrators to come eye to eye. There was no requirement for perpetrators to apologize, to show remorse, number two. They go in there, they say what happened, they connect what happened to a political motive, they get amnesty. Those are the only two requirements. You say what happened fully, you connect it to a political motive, you get amnesty. You don't need to apologize, you don't need to seek for forgiveness. So most perpetrators went to the TRC and read their lawyer's letters. This is what I did, that's what happened, in a very technical, robotic manner. That's it, okay? So the TRC did not really achieve truth nor reconciliation. And some of the biggest limitations of the TRCs were threefold. The first one is the time period of the TRC. The TRC adopted a very liberal approach. The liberal approach is an approach that says the problems of South Africa were the problems of segregation. White people did not like black people, so they segregated. We need to desegregate. The problem is apartheid, right? But of course, the problems of South Africa were not apartheid. The problem of South Africa was a problem of colonialism. Colonialism being a system where some people say we are human beings, some people are not human beings, and we shall, one, dispossess their land, two, turn them into cheap labor, and then three, subjugate their indigenous knowledge systems. That is colonialism. That is the problem of South Africa. The TLC focused on a very narrow thing. Who shot whom? Who tortured whom? Individual acts. So that's the first limitation with the TLC, an intentional limitation, narrowing the issue to individualized acts. Meaning that structural issues were not on the table. Mm -hmm. So for example, my father was a minor. And we know the migrant labor system was one of the biggest legacies of apartheid, one of the biggest tools of destroying families, of turning black townships into fatherless homes. Therefore, you break the family, you break the community, you break the nation. Migrant labor system. That was not on the table at the TRC. Number two, apartheid itself was not on trial. What was on trial was individual acts. The second problem with the TRC, of course, is that it was very much suffused with a Christian ethos. You know, of course, you know, the chairperson was uh, Desmond Tutu, the deputy person, Alice Borain, uh, about six other commissioners, very much pastors, very much senior people in various churches. 
So a very Christian ethos suffuses the TRC. Ethos that says if somebody harms you, you turn the other cheek. If somebody asks for forgiveness, you say yes. You don't ask about material justice. You don't ask about epistemic justice. You don't ask about cultural justice. Very thin ideas about what is reconciliation, what is nation building. The third problem, of course, with the TRC is that <clears throat> in every conflict, there are people who benefit from the conflict. Apart from those who do the killings, apart from those who order the killings. In South Africa, white people were beneficiaries of apartheid. White people who continue today to benefit from colonialism and what they gained during colonialism. Beneficiaries of apartheid were not put in the process, right? They were not called to come account, right? They were just left, it were just perpetrators and uh, uh, victims. So beneficiaries of apartheid were really let off the hook. And what this meant was that difficult issues about what was the conflict about were shifted aside. The conflict was reduced to people killing each other. Mm -hmm. The conflict in South Africa was a conflict of settler colonialism. People coming from somewhere, dispossessing people of their land, and subjugating their social cultural world, the way they see the world. But the TRC was not about that. So there was no way that the TRC at a higher level was going to help us achieve justice. So you mentioned the word narrow twice. Yeah. Narrow when you speak about the fact that it's a reconciliation between elites. Yeah. Narrow also when you speak about who were considered victims yeah, and who right. weren't. Yeah. Um, so in your view, what would have been an, an expanded uh, yeah. focus of the TRC? Yeah. And wh why is it that it chose to be so narrow in focus? Yeah. What, what, were the, what informed that? What were the pressure, the pull and yeah. push factors that made it such that the TRC did not delve into these more structural issues and yeah. systemic issues that you raise? Yeah. I mean, the choice is there's a conflict in any nation or in any country. What do you do after the conflict? Do you go transitional justice route? Do you go the route of redistribution of wealth, of political power, of cultural power, of epistemic power? Or do you just focus on transitional justice? In everywhere where transitional justice has been implemented, the goal is not to achieve historical justice. The goals are always threefold. One to stabilize the state so that there's no fighting. This has happened, let's talk. So it really is to force people to not to fight again. So what we call liberal peace, liberal peace, very, very narrow form of peace. Number two, transitional justice is always a Western paradigm. In our culture, if something happens to you, you are not the only person who's been harmed. The whole community has been harmed. Transitional, just because, because it's Eurocentric, westernized, very narrow, doesn't account for that. So it re-victimizes you. Mm. People whose worldview is a communal worldview, it takes you away and re-individualizes you again, right? So it really commits what we call epistemic violence on individuals, right? For us, the harm involves the whole community and the community, what is, how do you understand community in African culture? It's the living, mm -hmm. the living dead, 
the year to be born. TRC being very narrow doesn't look at those issues at all, okay? So that's the problem with transitional justice. It's very narrow Western model that is there to stabilize the state and to achieve elite reconciliation. You should see where it comes from, this field of transitional justice. It takes place at the moment when the wall fell, the Berlin Wall fell, and liberalism wins over. And people say, Marxism is dead, socialism is dead, what you do to achieve is constitutionalism and then transitional justice. So if you say, what did we need to do? We didn't need transitional justice in South Africa. If we are serious or if we are serious about ensuring that the harm doesn't happen again, conflict doesn't happen again, we will focus on issues of land, issues of wealth, issues of epistemic cultural justice. We did not do that. And because of that, as you all know, there's a possibility that conflict will happen again mm. because the material conditions, the cultural conditions are still the same, okay? So the TRC really was not meant to achieve that at all, right? What we always need to remember, and this is why people forget, the 1996 moment is a very, very crucial moment. And if you miss the three things that happened in 1996, you miss the history of South Africa. You miss to understand why we've not been able to achieve what we needed to achieve. In 1996, three things happened. One, the final constitution. Mm, a fair constitution, you know, nice things, you know, socioeconomic rights and so forth. Two, the TRC. People who were activists, people who were political subjects are turned into victims, okay? Number three, gear. The macroeconomic policy comes into effect in 1996. And what was gear? The growth in, in uh, employment and redistribution program was an austerity program, of course, right? 1994, we have RDP. 1996, we have gear. Gear that says the government must withdraw from public spending. The government must privatize a very neoliberal policy. So you've got two things that clash. A constitution that says the government will give you socioeconomic rights within available resources. On the other hand, you've got a microeconomic policy that says the government must withdraw from spending. Therefore, that undercuts constitutional promises. So you've got this good constitutional paper, but if your microeconomic policy says you can't do these things, you can't do these things. And then number three, a TRC that says, do not fight, come, cry at the TRC, and everything will be okay. And what are the implications of this situation, of these contradictory things that happened in 1996? What are yeah. the implications for present-day South Africa yeah. and the future of South Africa? Yeah. I mean, South Africa is, you talk about contradictions, I call it a paradox. It's a paradox of constitutionalism without constitution. I call it a paradox of constitutionalism without constitution. So constitutionalism in the sense that you've got a constitution that holds the government to account, gives people's rights and so forth, right? So a classic constitutional document, constitutionalism. But it's not a document that constitutes a society, a nation, right? And here constitution, I mean, uh, I'm going back to the original meaning of constitution, which is Latin term for constere, to be together. This constitution doesn't give us tools to build a nation. It doesn't constitute a rainbow nation, for example. It doesn't do that. 
So the implication is that you've got a good constitution, but you have not been able to constitute a nation. The second implication, therefore, is that you still have a segregated society. The third implication is that we have a crisis of legitimacy now, a very big political crisis of legitimacy, in a sense that uh, people are, are starting to turn away from the constitution. People are starting to say, what is the point of this constitution? Who is it for? Is it to guarantee property rights of those with property? Even when we want to march, using the constitution, we are short at. Even when we are marching for the right to water, we don't get water. So what is this constitution about? And really the students uh, from 2015, 2016, really put this issue on paper. Is the constitution a colonial document? What they are really asking is the following implication. Is the constitution perpetuating a neo-colonial society? Those are the deep implications here. Now, I'm going to ask you to define a few terms yeah. uh, for those, those of our viewers who may not be au fait yeah. with, these, with these terms. Um, you made mention of a negative peace. Yeah. Um, what is negative peace? Negative peace or liberal peace is a situation where we have been fighting. At a certain point, I come. You know, we fight, I take, over, I take your bicycle, and I go away. You are left with nothing. After a few years, I come to you and say, I'm very sorry for what happened. You say, okay, okay, I, I accept your, 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 your plea for forgiveness, and we shake on it, and I'll go away. But the bicycle is still with me. I've not returned the bicycle to you. So it's peace where I've not returned what was stolen from you. So I ask for forgiveness, we shake on it, we say, okay, we declare peace, but I get to keep what I took away from you. That's number one. Negative peace number two means a situation where there's no physical violence in society committed by the state or in terms of civil war. There's no, you know, people going to kill each other, you know, because of the state or because they belong to different political parties. But the violence of poverty continues. But the violence of gender-based violence continues. Okay? So it's not a sustainable deep level peace. It's really peace where there's no big fighting, but the violence of poverty continues, the violence where Western norms and Western epistemologies does violence to my epistemologies, that continues. And therefore the violence also number three of gender-based violence, war against women and children, that continues. So it's peace that I said is meant to stabilize things. I've asked for forgiveness, let's leave it at that. But the deep peace is peace that ensures that these things won't happen again. And how does that happen? I must put you in a position that you would have been had it not been for the conflict. You understand that? It's a form of restorative, restorative justice. justice. Mm. That doesn't happen. Mm. So really, negative peace is liberal peace is very thin. Mm -hmm. You also speak a lot about epistemic justice. Yeah. Um, in your perspective, what would that look like yeah. in the context of South Africa? Yeah, so I define three legs of colonialism. First of all, I said, dispossession, I come, I dispossess your land. Number two, I said, then I turn you into a cheap labor, a tool of racial capitalism, or a tool of you working for me. I dispossess you of economic means. The third part of colonialism, which makes all these things possible, is that I make sure that you see 
yourself through my eyes, the way I see you. Some people call it double consciousness. So you're not consciousness, conscious of yourself. It's double because you see yourself through the eyes of me. So I impose my own gods on you. I impose my own way of looking at the world on you. I impose my reference points on you. Religion, culture, education, and so forth. Epistemology is how do you know what you know? How do you know the truth, for example? There's European uh, psychology, uh, epistemology, there's African, and so forth. Colonialism means epistemic violence. It takes away your ability to know yourself through your own religion, culture, and so forth. Epistemic justice is a situation where, in a plural society like South Africa, there are multiple ways of knowing the world, of seeing the world, and thankfully, therefore, of being in the world. But South Africa, as you know, thinks of itself as a province of Europe. You look at the architecture, you look at the curriculum of universities, you look at everything, it thinks of itself as a province of Europe. It thinks of itself as Western. And people who live in the world areas, 80 million people, are forced to abide by this Euro-modern society. So epistemic justice is actually reversing all of that. So that in a plural society, my way of seeing the world is legitimate. My way of being in the world is legitimate. Yeah. Um, you also made a distinction between colonialism and apartheid. And yeah. I think um, for a lot of people, uh, perhaps who are, who are lay people, yeah. that may not make, um, may not be like, they don't see the logical yeah. difference, you know, between the two. They see the, the two as flowing into each other, sometimes perhaps even yeah. use them interchangeably. Yeah. Um, we often talk about the 300 years of colonialism and apartheid, yeah. you know, in South Africa, if you read, you know, the mainstream publications. That's right. Um, so I'm interested in, in the distinction that you make. You know, yeah. why do you make that distinction and what is the yeah. distinction between colonialism and apartheid? So colonialism uh, in South Africa, of course, started in 1657. 1652 people come, 1657 they decide to stay and therefore colonize, dispossess people and so forth, right? Those three legs that I talked about. This happens until 1948. 1948, the Afrikaners win and they institute apartheid. But black people still can vote. Black people still uh, do not see themselves in the economy. It's still very much a Western society. It's still very much a society where black people are oppressed. All those elements of colonialism still remain. What apartheid did was perhaps meant two things. One, you swap the colonizers from the English to the Afrikaners. Number two, you institutionalize via certain laws. Laws were there, but you institutionalize it via certain laws. Number three, you establish Bantu stands. In the past, there were tribal reserves. Now you call them Bantu stands and you expand them, you institutionalize them. There's no difference between the two. People who want us to focus on apartheid want us to focus on a narrow time frame, 1948 to 1994. But colonialism started long before that. There's a material, the, the word apartheid does not add anything. We should throughout until 1994, <laughs> yes, debatable, talk about colonialism. Mm -hmm. There's no difference between the two. The difference is in just the name. The reason why the two, the name is also very important, and it's not just philosophical. 
is the question of when did South Africa become independent? If you say South Africa was under apartheid, you are saying it was a independent society, a state, but there was no democracy. The problem is democracy. If you say it's a colonialism, you are saying it's not an independent state, it's a state that is ruled by colonialists and the majority are subject people. This was the difference between the ANC, of course, and the PAC, the Pan-African Congress. The Pan-African Congress say, the problem in South Africa is a problem of colonialism and democracy. Then she say, no, 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 the state is okay. The only problem is the question of democracy, apartheid. If you narrow the problem to apartheid, you focus on the issue of democracy and segregation. If you give people, as you put it, one person, one vote, if Tsebo can live in the suburb, if Tsebo can marry a white woman, then the problems are resolved. But if your unit of analysis is colonialism, you are able to talk about land. You are able to talk about issues of epistemic justice. You are able to talk about issues of belonging, who belongs and who doesn't belong in South Africa. In South Africa today, black people still feel like aliens. Black people still feel like pariahs in the country of their birth. They still feel like they don't belong here, right? If you go to schools, you have to assimilate. If you go to the workplace, you have to assimilate. And that's a problem of colonialism. But for the ANC, the question was so narrow, democracy and segregation. Once you resolve that, you have resolved everything. Well, according to um, Professor Samvita Blanche in his book, A History of Inequality in South Africa, yeah. 1652 to 2002, he raises the point of the racialized system of cap capitalism in yeah. South Africa. And that part of the reason why the ANC at the negotiations narrowed the focus yeah. you know, to just democracy and, and dealing with this um, problem of apartheid just being segregation and the lack of voting rights for yeah. black people is not wanting to tamper with the system of racialized capitalism because yeah. then you'd have to deal with the corporates yeah. that benefits it. You'd have to deal with the mining, yeah. the mines, the mining companies. Yeah. You'd have to deal with the, the construction companies. You'd have to deal with a lot of yeah. uh, uh, um, the private sector yeah. that actually benefited, the banks you know, yeah. that played a role in this thing. To what extent do you think uh, Professor Tablanche was, was correct in, in this perspective, yeah. particularly because you also mentioned the fact of the narrowness yeah. of, of our transition yeah. from apartheid to democracy. And of course the implications are that we are still dealing with questions of redress, redistribution, yeah. Uh, that even still played out in the May 2019 yeah. e general election. Under the sixth administration, we are still Absolutely. dealing with the same issues and still haven't found resolution. At the same time, these issues are still polarizing society. Yeah. If you look at the election results, I mean, yeah. you look at um, a lot of the focus has been on how the, the DA lost, uh, you know, support. Uh, yeah. You know, the conservatives moving to the FF plus. Right. But we also saw that there was a lot of support. Uh, growing support for the EFF as well, right. uh, whilst the DA and the ANC Shrinking. were shed, 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 shed some, some, some support. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so what, 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 what do you make of of that point that that Professor Tablanche is making? Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, the professor is completely right. The ANC was for less stabilized state, and let's be part of the state. Let's be included in the state. It was a very narrow form of freedom. 
Freedom means there's no more war. Freedom means we can vote. Freedom means there's no segregation. But the ANC was being true to itself, and that's what people don't understand. Who is the ANC? What is the ANC? The ANC in 1912 is formed, of course, we know, by black elites and some chiefs, of course. Mm -hmm. And you must look at what they're saying when it was formed. They're saying two things. We are unhappy that we cannot vote as the black elites. Number two, we are unhappy that we cannot buy the land. Not that the land must be redistributed, but that they must be able to participate. And number three, they use this term that they get from Cecil Rhodes. Uh, civilized society for civilized men. Civilized rights for civilized men. And they make a distinction over and over again. If you look at all the records of the native commissioners, if you look at their documents also, they make a very clear distinction between civilized natives and what they call raw natives. Okay? So the ANC from the beginning was always about being as elites included in society, number one. Number two, the ANC from the beginning was always about that the problem is that black people cannot participate in the economy. And the way you enable black people to participate is by deracializing the economy. You take away legislation that does allow black people to participate. But that's not the problem. The problem is racial capitalism. That the South African economy is built on treating other people as subhuman beings. And that continues today. And that is a problem. It's a very narrow problem. But it's not narrowing, it's the ANC being true to their roots. That's who they were. Their freedom, emancipation, very narrow for them. So you paint a very bleak picture. Um, I'm being pressed for time, so yeah. I just want to ask one last question. In, in your work that you have been doing with the Kulumani group, you have actually been trying to tackle these questions yeah. of this narrow transition that was made. Yeah. Um, to what extent do you think the prospects of a social movement like Kulumani are in terms of yeah. pushing against all of these issues. Yeah. Do you feel there's a sense in society that is now willing to engage with these broader questions? Yeah. And uh, what would it take in terms of the current political context that we find yeah. ourselves in, the kind of um, socioeconomic context as well? Will, will the private sector be willing to hear this? Are yeah. they willing to hear this? And are they willing to make any concessions? Yeah. You know, Kulimani was formed in 1995, and we've been going on for so long. And we never achieved any traction in the public discourse, because people were saying, but the issues of apartheid are so old. Number one, number two, people were saying, just get on with it. But we had two main slogans. The first slogan was, forgiveness and reconciliation has a price. Can't just forgive. There must be real material redistribution. The second slogan that we have was, the past is in the present. You can't say these issues are in the past. They are in the present today. I would never achieve any traction until 2015. From 2015, the young people are putting these issues on the table. They are saying colonialism did not end. We are dealing with neocolonialism today. They are saying the past is in the present. They are saying we need to be radical. That's why the, some of them vote for the EFF. That it's not enough to go to parliament, get some legislation, go to court, win some cases. We need to make things uncomfortable. So Africa won't change to answer your question 
unless society is, those who are benefiting from the present conditions are made uncomfortable. And that will take not a revolution, but sustained social protest. It's not enough for us academics to be writing books. It's not enough for parliament to be, uh, you know, uh, passing progressive legislation. We actually need social movement of citizens who are honest about what the problems are. What is the nature of historical injustice? Without a social movement that disrupts things, not just on social media, not just in academia, but really disrupts things through direct action, nothing will change. Thank you very much. Thank you.